Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis and New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. And this is a very special live actually and it's celebrating the fifth anniversary of the u.s legalization of same-sex marriage which is incredible and many many years to come as well as very close to the 50th anniversary of the very very first pride march and i think that's amazing so before i ramble on i just want to introduce our guests to our audience members so the first person I see on my list is Ananya, and if you can just talk about your organization and just a little bit about your platform, and we'll carry it on from there. Um, so uh, my name is Ananya. Um, I'm the co-founder of Crazy Magazine. Uh, we're based in um, Bangalore, India, and that's where I'm talking from right now. It's like 9.30. And um, so basically, we're a South Asian LGBTQ-focused magazine. Um, we focus on highlighting different LGBTQ narratives around South Asia. We publish every two months and um, essentially we just want to sort of focus on the different complex lives that are in this like really varied and complex and diverse community. There's so many stories to be told and that's just what we do. We just talk about those and try to highlight as many as we can. That's awesome. Um, the next person I see is Sadi. If you want to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Sathi. I'm uh, born and raised in New York City. Um, I identify as a lesbian and I'm not affiliated with any organization. So I'm just here as a member of the community and um, as an attendant to the panel and the discussion. Awesome, awesome. And then our final guest. Hi, my name is Bado and uh, I'm representing Queer Brown History. Um, me and a few of my friends started this initiative early this year so we're fairly new and uh the purpose of documenting lgbtq histories is so that people can understand that there's such a rich plethora of south asian lgbtqia histories that have not had the chance to come forward and we just dig deep and we try and present them in the best way we can visually orally um through drawings and uh we hope to continue to do so and thank you for having us. Awesome, awesome. You guys are all doing such great, great things. And I wanna start off this podcast by talking about social media and just the media platform itself since we all have one here and just how rigid and how scarce it is to find South Asian representation, especially with those that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community, how is it a danger and how is it a risk for youth to not see themselves being represented in social media and perhaps how can it be better? Yeah, I think that's a great question and a great starting point. I mean, I, I can probably speak for a lot of people that growing up, I literally thought I was the only one, you know, going to family functions and, you know, not seeing any other representation out there. You know, it's you're not public with yourself. You know, you're not public with yourself until you see and meet other people that are public with themselves, you know, and, and in my circumstance, you know, I was born in New York City and I, you know, I, did, I had to kind of pick and choose whether or not to really go down 
my culture mm-hmm. and mesh in with my culture and, and the people that were also Bengali or to kind of step away from it and, you know, go to where I saw other people that were public, which was more of the, you know, American society. So, you know, I, I ended up having to kind of step away from being Bengali, being South Asian to really find myself and become comfortable with myself. And, um, you know, cause that's what I saw. I, I only saw other representations that were of, you know, different backgrounds. And so mm-hmm. I think later in life, you know, now that I'm at a place where I'm really secure with myself, I know who I am and I'm very public with it. Uh, I now am kind of going backwards and trying to like find other South Asians. You know, I remember when I was younger uh, joining Salga, that was, uh, that's the uh, South Asian LGBT organization in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I think the Pride Center, you know, it was based out of the Pride Center in, in New York. And so I remember going to a couple of meetings and meeting a few people, um, but it, it's, it was very scarce, um, right. or scary, sorry. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know now that we're seeing some people on soft, on social media, and we're having you know a few movies come out here and there, it's making a world of difference for you know the younger generations. But I do remember growing up not seeing anything and and having to keep quiet and really feel like I had to pick between being brown and being gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like being, um, I mean, I also grew up in the U.S. I grew up in California which is like being Asian in California, it's not the most isolating thing, but um, growing up, like you tend to feel a lot of loneliness being queer. Like you, you're not really understanding what's going on with yourself. So that's like one isolating aspect. And then you're just kind of confused in general because like there's one thing which you see in TV and like the media and just in general, which is this kind of whiteness and just kind of like the norm that's sort of like projected at you and like the only thing that you find for yourself is in Bollywood, which like you can't really relate to if you're in the, if you're like growing up in like the kind of US culture. Um, so then when you're kind of feeling, I guess, sort of out of place in both ways, like that kind of isolation can really get to you, especially when you're a child, like, and when it, and when it comes to like media, like when it comes to books, like that's why it's so important to find community. Like if you're not able to be connected, um, that's why it was so important. Like when we didn't have social media, when we didn't have like TV, if we didn't have movies, like that's why it was so important for people to find others who were like them. That's why it was so important for the LGBT community to exist because we couldn't find each other, then we couldn't like exist at all like there couldn't be any kind of identity as such because we would all be so isolated and alone and like you can't have a collective identity and like any kind of solidarity with each other without that like it's it can be isolating and it can that can turn into like worse things like that can turn into mental illness that can turn into depression that can turn into even worse things like here in india at least um like I can see that when you're in urban areas, like here in Bangalore, it's a lot easier for people to find community through the internet. But if you're in a more urban, uh, rural area, so if you're in a village, for example, you can't find other people. You're probably like the only person that you know of in your village, or like it's probably more difficult for you to find anyone you can confide in. The only place you have is the internet um, or like media that you can watch 
to even kind of understand yourself, to see representation of yourself, to understand that you're not the only one. So in that way, it's very important to be represented, not just, I guess, for yourself to understand that you're not alone, but so that that media can educate people around you to understand that, you know, it's completely fine for you. That just went in a lot of places, um, but I guess that just kind of shows how important it is. Like, it can go in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. I, I want to add something. I just have a bit of a backstory. I'm not going to bore anyone, but I, uh, um, I moved here five years ago, and uh, before that, I've had quite a quite quite some history with being in India. I, I was born and raised in a very small town in in this town called Latur, which not a lot of people know about. It's rural. Like we're talking like um, cornfield. <laughs> That's where I grew up, and uh, it was still a bustling town of four hundred thousand people. And yeah, I came out when I was twelve, and I was one of the only people I had nobody to talk to. I had such a dark time ahead of me. My parents kicked me out and I immediately moved to Bombay when I turned 18. Um, I didn't know an ounce of English. I didn't know what I was doing. And at that time, when you don't see anybody around you, it's only uh, the screen, right? Like your screen becomes your best friend. You, you relate with these people and they, you kind of feel like you know them. They're exhibiting these, these gay tendencies and you kind of feel like, okay, I can, I can maybe relate with them. But it's not, it's not really a complete portrayal. Um, so you kind of, at 2010, around that time, I started turning to social media and that became a big outlet for me to connect with all these different LGBTQ groups around the world. Um, and I, um, I I said to myself, maybe, maybe it's time I talk to someone about this. Maybe, you know, years of isolation, years of being shunned away has not been good for me. Maybe this is a time that I actually do open up. So in 2012, I decided to uh, uh, publicly interview on national TV uh, on this major channel. And they interviewed me as like one of the LGBTQ people from a small town. And I thought here I was doing something for the community, like putting myself on the line. It meant a big deal to me. And the repercussions and the backlash was so major. I cannot even begin to tell you how my conservative town reacted to it. I think to this day, every time I go back, it's always like, really, that thing happened? Like, I can't believe it. Uh, and uh, I think that everything that Queer Brown History and uh, my friends are trying to do is so that that situation can get better. So when people do speak out, so when people do go on social media and voice their opinions and say what's good for the community, they don't feel shunned. Because to be fairly honest, like, I think, it's not that we don't have any queer history. It's not, it's not that we don't have any queer culture. We have a very rich queer culture. We've been living in it. It's just that we haven't been able to see it. There are certain histories that are oppressed, like Bengali histories. I, uh, there's so much literature on it, and there's such little exposure towards it. Um, so I think that there's uh, social media can allow you to spread that information. It can allow you to become each other's allies in ways that we can educate each other. Um, so I guess that's that's where we're coming from. Honestly, every single thing you guys said almost just intertwines with each other about how it's such a, you know it's there, you know that there's a South Asian LGBTQ plus community, you know it, but where is it? Where is it, where is it being shown? And it needs to be shown more. And I love that you mentioned, Badal, um, how you were being sh you were being shunned and it's just like it's a very common thing and i wonder and i would love to ask you guys 
especially maybe from the older generation of South Asians or maybe even the younger generation, do you believe this is just rooted in traditional values, ignorance? Because you mentioned that there is a rich queer history. There is a rich, rich presence of it. So how come there's so much stigma and taboo towards it? Well, I think in general, brown families don't talk about relationships. I mean, I know for my family, it was like non-existent. So even for, you know, the straight community, like it's hard enough to even talk about relationships and dating in it for, for them. So you can imagine like, it's just non-existent. And I think it's because of generations of like never talking about it. Our parents never talked about it with their parents. Their parents never talked about it with their, you know, with their parents. And it, and it, and it, you know, I think it also shows in like how we were all probably raised you know, generally speaking, like Indian community, like we're not necessarily, or our parents, I, would, I should say, they're, they're not necessarily affectionate. They don't really show love to each other. It's very much so, I think, a a duty. It's a, it's a culture that's based around responsibility and duty. You know, like you're, you're doing things because it is what makes sense. It is what you should do versus it's what you want to do. It's what you feel like doing. It's what makes you happy. And I think that's where us as the younger generation, like we're changing that slowly but surely, like we're showing the community that you actually can live in love and live in pleasure and also uh, fulfill all the duties of your, you know, your cultural background. Right, right. I like that answer a lot. I also think that like maybe uh, there's a lot of emphasis in conservative families on the aspect of tradition, like who carries the torch, who who is going to become the next, uh, you know, breadwinner of the family, who's going to become the person who takes over the business, who's going to who's going to get grandkids for for their mothers. It's always um, a, a chain that people expect you to continue. And uh, I think uh, that expectation, the burden of it is so severe sometimes that you're not allowed to be any different, especially if you are not living in the, in the cloak of anonymity that sometimes big cities or, you know, cities like New York have to offer. You can just kind of be yourself in small towns. It's not the case. Um, it, it takes a while. And also, I think what it is, is there's, there's also the fear of unknown. It's not so much, I don't know if it's ignorance so much as just like not knowing what certain lifestyles could could mean if my parents only visual uh reference for a gay lgbtq person on screen was believe it or not bobby darling this comedian who used to perform it in bollywood movies and and this person was so flamboyant and it almost it they almost took it as like a joke they almost felt like this is what my son's life is going to be and they hadn't seen other other amazing amazing powerful trailblazers of the community who had laid the stone for a lot of people because that is not what the popular media representation is all about. Um, so I think even, I would even say that they probably don't even, they probably don't even understand the extent to, to which we say LGBTQIA like that, by that word, they just know it's different. So when it's different, they don't know what to make of it. Um, and I think, I think it's, I think it, in, in case of my parents, at least it's, it's more that not, not knowing what this is. Yeah, it's, it's like a mixture of fear. It's really like, when it comes to ignorance, at least, it's not um, hate. Like, it's not like, it's not like they don't want to not love us. Like, at least it's not like that. It's, it's not like they know any better, which is really sad. Honestly, like, I see it as a sad thing, at least, because um, when it comes to, say, like, the transgender community, 
Um, of course, they've been pushed to the margins by, say, like the government and just like systemic oppression and just the whole thing. But of course, the day-to-day -day person is not able to see that. They're also busy with their own lives. What they know of the trans community is seeing them begging on the street. And if I go to my parents and tell them I am transgender, their first thing is she's going to go beg on the street. That's like their first thing. They don't want that for their child. Of course, that is on them for thinking that. But it's also on society, the education system, the government, the years and years of systemic oppression, the fact that uh, transgender people, unfortunately, are discriminated against in every, literally every layer of society. They can't really go much outside of begging on the street. Um, it's on layers and layers of that. Like we need to fix that in order to change the mindset in order for me to be accepted as transgender, for example. Like it's an entire process to really kind of get rid, rid of the ignorance. And that comes through representation in media and that comes through a lot of things. It's really like it is their fault, but it's also not really their fault is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> And I'll add on to that too. I also firmly believe that I would, I, I see it as something we should empathize with because it's not like something that they ever grew up with. And it's, it's a sad thing because, you know, I, I, you know, bringing religion kind of into this, India is predominantly Hindu. You know, my family, we have come from a Hindu background. The Hindu religion itself is very, it's actually very liberal. And it's, mm -hmm. it's based around a lot of pleasure. It's based around sex. I mean, the Kama Sutra, for example, I mean, you know, come on, you know, and it, it, this is all stuff that has been completely suppressed even within the religion and the culture. Like, why is the religion so liberal, but the culture so strict? You know, there's, there's something to it. There was systems in place to really, you know, shove something down. And, and even, even in the, in the religion, there's, they, they revere people that are, you know, half man, half woman, because it's seen as being closer to God. So it's, it's very interesting. And I, and I can kind of see it with some South Asian, you know, older generation folks, like there's a little bit of conflict there, you know, it's because they, they know these things, but they've been taught not to, not to speak to it, not to uh, pay any mind to it. And I think it's really just taught behavior. Yeah. That's how I ended up explaining to my mom that I was transgender. That was like, I have the two energies within me. <laughs> I have it all inside. <laughs> I was like, this is what it is. Yeah, I feel like that is so typical of Indian parents. It's like, uh, there's never a balance between um, like love and understanding. Like they will take a bullet for you, but do they know who you hang out with? Not really. <laughs> so the, our, I, I feel like that defines the queer generation, the, the, our queer generation is just trying to find a balance between that yeah. love and understanding aspect. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. And going to just like <laughs> South Asian parents kind of having that extreme, you know, between love and then, you know, affection. I would just love to ask the difference that you see between Western and South Asian culture when it comes to love in general. So like acts of service is more prominent in South Asian culture. You know, um, mom cooks for you. She'll, she'll always make the best food. But when it comes to affection, kind of on a thin line there. So how would you compare that to Western culture? And have you seen that in your own life? Oh boy, what a big topic that is. <laughs> Sorry, we can narrow it down as much as it needs to be narrowed down. Just take it any way you want. 
No, I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, I think it definitely is a huge thing. I think we are all, we all have to teach ourselves how to love because we're not necessarily shown how to be really intimate. Like I know intimacy for me has been a struggle um, with intimacy with emotions, just like opening up, being really vulnerable is something that like is so, God forbid I'm vulnerable, you know, because, you know, it's because you're taught to be a, a rock and it's amazing because it's the same skill that'll make you super successful in life. It's the same skill that'll make you really badass and powerful in your career. And then in love, it's like, okay, so break down the walls. Like, let's get into it. Tell me your emotions. And and you can't really do that. It's, it's something that you have to learn. So I know for myself, like I, you know, when I had to kind of step away from the South Asian community and like really find my like white friends and like get more involved in the LGBTQ community and like grow up with that. I just had to teach myself how to love, you know, I remember, you know, my parents are, are amazing like, and, and now they're very, they're very accepting and, and open. But I remember growing up, like saying things like, I love you and thank you. Like these very simple things. Like I had to really teach myself to say thank you to people because it's, you know, it's my mom did things for us. My dad did, did things for us and they never really asked for that back. So. I find myself having the hardest time saying I love you to like my sister because now my sisters are trying to implement that in our daily lives and I just just, it's such a foreign thing I guess I guess is the best way to describe it so I love that you mentioned that because I can totally relate to that words information is like our our weakest thing you know honestly honestly. Um, I'm sure you guys are like wonderful people like you deserve love and like, I'm sending it. I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking the love, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Nanya, I just want to, I want to touch upon you being in India, correct? You're in India right now? Yes. So yeah. How do the laws, I'm a big politics person, and it's very, very crucial to have um, LGBTQ representation in law, transgender rights, and same-sex marriage. It's imperative. How mm-hmm. are the lawmaking bodies in India as of right now? Um, right now, honestly, they're a bit shit. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> well, okay. Well, um, so right now, well, the current um, ruling party, if I'm being honest, they're not the best when it comes to LGBT rights. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so recent, in 2018, um, they struck down Section 377. Uh, three, Section 377, um, essentially, it criminalized um, same-sex relations, like, uh and that was sort of like a leftover from colonial times it's still like it's still there in like singapore and uh in like other like in sri lanka i believe pakistan still not pa- i think pakistan still has it like in different places where um colonialism was a big thing it's left over from britain um and like it's just one like old archaic thing that just kind of allowed police to like break in and catch you doing immoral sexual activity um they struck that down finally and that has been in the pro that was in the process for like 20, 20 years. They really fought it. The first petition was like from the nineties, and wow. that has been going on for so long. So that was a huge, huge thing. In two thousand eighteen, they struck it down. Um, but since then, um, there was the Trans Act of twenty nineteen, which it it was supposed to give trans people a lot of rights. It was supposed to like prevent discrimination. It was supposed to protect trans women from rape. It was supposed to do a lot of things. 
Um, this was something that a lot of, there are a lot of, um, so for a, a few states, I'm sorry, I'm just like, this is like something I'm really into. Like, keep going. I'm wondering keep going. detail about this, but like there are a lot of um, trans people who are into politics and there are a few um, uh, like trans mayors, trans people who uh, form political parties in a few states in India. So they really like worked with their local governments, they worked with the states, they worked with lawyers, they really like, like this was something that was really big, like this would like really change trans rights in India. Um, and the government saw, I don't even know if they saw everything, they saw it and then they chucked it in the trash and they like literally went against everything in it. So um, that was published in 2019 and um, yeah, so that's pretty much been in effect since then, and it's pretty shitty, shitty, and like it's just it's just not a good thing. And so uh, everyone is kind of petitioning, and we're writing. People are writing like this is how we can improve it. This is what to do. This is what not to do. Um, there are a lot of people who have written about it. I'm really not the best person to talk about it. Um, there are a lot of resources. Queer Desi, like I I can I've linked like a bunch of things in like the thing I can send it to you and like you can link it later if you want to talk more about it um but yeah so that is kind of where we stand right now like it's really easy for a lot of politicians in India to say homosexuals deserve to live in society but they don't really get on the thing about um trans people even though um trans people do have like they have a, a fair amount of visibility in terms of population um they've been that is like a significant portion of like queer history in india um i at least i believe so because uh they're a significant minority in india they've been here since colonial times their presence has been recorded since before that they are an important part of india and you know they deserve to be treated as an equal citizen in fact they deserve i believe they deserve reparations for the way they've been treated and they've been discriminated every single way in this country um and like pakistan is doing better and that is really a reason why india should get on it frankly if they're going to be so this thing about pakistan um but like so that's kind of where we stand pinkless india is another great resource if people are interested to learn more about politics in india when it comes to lgbt rights um they have like they've made like a map of like every state and how well they are on like every mla and what that's they're so cool that's so cool yeah they're a really good resource um yeah i just i get very excited i'm sorry no 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 i'm so happy you dove you headfirst dove into it and i'm so so happy yeah. it's it like important mm -hmm. like a lot of people like especially like queer people uh brown people in america like this is something that I think they should also start thinking about like when whenever they visit or whenever they bring up like if you have if you're a queer brown person in america i feel like it's important for you to take note of what your country or your origin country is doing in terms of queer rights at least to think about it so you can at least think about your privilege like if you're in a i guess like britain or the us or like literally anywhere else just like think about the freedoms you have and what you can maybe do to increase visibility because um, what your country has can pave the way forward. Like when India got rid of Section 377, it paves the way for other 
post-colonial countries to do the same. I know another country did it, they got rid of Section 377 and they cited it. So if one country can do it, it shows an example for another and you can petition your governments and it just kind of, it's like an example, like, I don't know, I just feel like brown people need to stand up for other brown people in other countries to get rid of right, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, and I would just love to touch base on, so we're moving from law to education, education. And I can note for myself that I have met a lot of little South Asian children uh, and their idea of gender expression, gender identity, and sexual orientation is so limited, but I find them obviously to be the most accepting of these South Asian groups. Um, so what is it that needs to be educated? Because I know growing up in like school and even from my parents, I had no clue, no clue that there was any other way to go about living life other than being straight. I had no idea. So do you feel that it needs to be implemented, if not by our parents, more so by the education system? And if so, how early on? Because we don't get health class. I don't, I don't think I got health class till about 7th or 8th grade. And by then, everybody's already formulated their own views based off of their parents. So hmm. how do you guys feel about it? Uh, I'll, take, I'll take this. <laughs> uh, coming, from a, coming from a small town with very conservative education, sex education was not a part of the curriculum at all. They don't really? teach you that. Not at all. Not at all. Wow. I mean, the, the the only the only talk we got was um, about public health was or hygiene was just to you know shower is to take care of your health take care of your body but you don't they don't really tell you what your body does or, or what your body is is about so you you kind of come out of school with almost these twisted ideas about what sex is about right. what gender is what sexuality is um, after that there's zero to no mention of what transgender bodies are like at all so when you there's even more of like uh that kind of phobia of them uh, which is so deeply embedded um and uh it's 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 not that there's it's not that there's no education it's also that there's no sensitivity there's no um it's not introduced that like hey if you don't if you don't know anything about the minorities don't you know don't go and oppress them there's none of that um so i think uh um when i when i do go back to my hometown it's such a stark sort of world coming from us where there's so much sensitivity now when it comes to pronouns right like you there's so much sensitivity when it comes to like lgbtqia identities and which spectrum you fall into it's important to tell people how you like to be addressed and then you go back home and nobody asks you that mm. nobody 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 is willing to talk to you about that people are making guesses uh, and i find that i find that it's kind of like uh how do you say it's it's in the language but it still feels very oppressive in some ways it just uh i'll i'll, I'll make an example i um um I, I came out to my parents and i told them that i want to marry my partner and the first question sort of that they had was uh so who's going to wear the pants in the relationship and uh it's a it's a it's a question that their generation has like always known to you know their structures have been very hegemonic when they've you know grown up and that question like immediately offended me and I went on this whole crusade and I tried to educate them about it. And they were like, oh, okay, so it's not okay to say who wears the pants. So then they asked something else, which was sort of in the lines of the same hegemonic structure. <laughs> so, uh, 
it's uh, it's it's a lot of undoing, right? right? It's a lot of decades and decades of undoing that the edu- that the education system has somehow to take part in. Um, through our research at Core Brown History, we actually found that there are now a few universities and schools that are dedicated for transgender people, that they provide education to the Sangama Trust, which is in Bangalore, does a lot of that work on a name yeah. now, and it it frankly gives a ray of hope that people see that there are LGBTQ people who are coming out as educated people and they can educate other people. I think it's gonna be on us uh, to pass the torch and to sort of spread the word that this is this is what the community is about. If you wanna if you wanna respect us, it comes with all the things, not using the the not using incorrect pronouns, mm-hmm. not not speaking out of line and not not being disrespectful. Um, definitely needs to be uh, a part of the education system, yeah. My take on it is um, similar, um, but I, I feel like, you know, the there it just needs to be more inclusive. The fact that there is no sexual education in your life, that's number one, horrible, <laughs> right? Like that it needs to be like a, an actual sexual education just in general for the community. Um, but I think the language just needs to be more inclusive. Sexuality is so complicated. I think even having a lesson plan on sexuality wouldn't even make sense. So I think the better the better way would be to just differentiate gender identity from sexual orientation from biological sex and to just leave it at that because you don't want to get into a world where you're like, okay, so there's this sexuality, that sexuality, and this sexuality. Right. Because yeah. sexuality is fluid. It's fluid. And it's so fluid. And and I think that's where the like us as queer people make the mistake is that we try to label things and I understand where the whole, where the labels came from. This was like a form of empowerment because you wanted to put a name to it and have, you know, have a community that's kind of backed around it. But at the same time, you know, as we're all growing and evolving, we're also understanding that there's so much gray in between that. And, and I think if people are just taught that like sexuality is fluid, you know, we're going to teach you about the differences between biological sex, gen- gender identity, and sexual orientation. And then from there, it's like, it's just very, a little bit more open-ended. I feel like that's, I would be more inclined to support that versus mm-hmm. supporting sort of narrative about uh, like boxing, you know, certain identities. But it is a complicated subject. I think it's something we could talk about for a long time and, and still potentially not cover everything and everyone. And that, that's, that's why I think, you know, we say that it's a spectrum. And I think if we acknowledge if the language is more inclusive that there is a spectrum, but we don't have to get into every single thing and dissect it, like it's, everyone has their own journey and like kind of finds that where they fall on the spectrum. But I think that would go a long way, just even acknowledging that there is a spectrum. Um, and just for the purpose of those that are listening and for those who may not know, because I know some people who didn't know the value of pronouns. And at first this became a shock to them. Like, how can you not know the value of pronouns? But then I understood everyone comes from a different situation. So if one of you guys could just touch upon what exactly pronouns are, what their value is and how to correctly go about addressing somebody by the correct pronoun. Well, um, so I guess I'm a non-binary person. I personally go by she, her, but um, I only go by that because um, that was like kind of my default. Like I've been referred to as she, her my entire life. But the first time someone referred to me 
I had like I was bald before so someone referred to me as sir and like it was like my soul had lifted like I was like oh my god like what did you call me like like, like everything made sense all of a sudden that's when I like I learned so much about myself in that moment like I realized that was like when I realized like okay I can be non-binary and pronouns are kind of it's a it's a way of showing respect like respect for human beings is just this isn't even like a per, like this isn't even a gender thing this is the person right thing. exactly you have to have respect for human beings in order to talk to them in order to walk by them on the street like you have if you're about to hit someone and, the, and you're walking by them you shift so that you can walk by them without hitting them like that is like a involuntary thing like if you hit them it means like you didn't pay attention to them you didn't respect them you didn't respect their bodily autonomy you didn't respect that they yet yeah, you were about to hurt them you didn't respect their way of passage and that is what pronouns are i remember my friend was like well why are they forcing you to call some some why are they forcing you to call them something they don't that you don't want to call them and i was like well it's just why would you they just want you to call they just want you to respect them as a person if you call them something else you're not respecting them as a person you are completely invalidating their identity you are not like even you may not like them you may not want to talk to them ever you may not want to even look at them but you still have to respect that they exist and that they are a person and that means you have to call them by their correct pronouns and that you have to refer to them by their name and that's what they say their name is and you and what like the, i guess the process to go about it would be to ask them what their pronouns yeah. are yeah so just like hey my name is like hey my name is ananya i go by these pronouns uh what's your name and pro and like someone would do it back like okay and then they would introduce themselves and as an ally like if you introduce yourself and your pronouns like a trans person immediately knows that okay i can trust this person i can give my actual name and i can give my pronouns to this person and this person will understand me and this person will not invalidate me and if you mess up like you can say sorry and move on because the trans person or like the person giving the pronouns also does not want to think about it they with like you also do not want to go through the situation again like if you mess up it's completely fine sometimes i misgender myself i also end up calling myself a woman when i'm actually a non-binary person that's completely fine like that's like a normal normal thing and then yeah like a, yeah i have a question for you um i was wondering if like you make the same you 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 ask people to use the correct pronouns even when people are using hindi language because this is something that a friend of mine asked me and i probably didn't know the answer to this but like in hindi it's it's i i get the sense that it's not very pronoun centric like it's not easy it's always like tum aap all of that yeah. uh, so i'm wondering if you make those you know yeah in like in like indian languages it tends to be a little more difficult like my mother right. tongue is telugu and it's like it's it's kind of difficult because the other option is like a neuter gender which they refer to like was like objects and that's like not the best way to go about um <laughs> but like that also depends on the person like i don't really know like my default is like just use the respectful one just like the one i would use for like i guess my mom or like like the dadaji or someone like i would use the most respectful i would use aap instead of tum like mm -hmm. 
I would defer. <laughs> just the most, just like that. Yeah, that, that would be my answer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for going into that. It's very, very important. Honestly, um, I know a lot of my friends are just very, they want to learn, but they're just afraid of making a mistake. And I feel like that's where a lot of the barrier comes along with anything really. You want to be an you want to be an active anti-racist, but you're too scared because of things you've done in the past. It's just, it's about getting started. And I really love that you mentioned it's okay to make a mistake, just learn from it and move on. Um, and carrying on with the idea of education, if one of you guys could just go into the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity, because I know where I grew up, um, I grew up in the capital region of New York, and you might think that there's a lot of diversity, but there isn't. There is not. I was friends with transgender people. I was friends with gay people and lesbian people. And I continuously heard them saying, nobody understands the difference between these two things. Mm -hmm. So I just love if one of you guys could address it so that our audience members know. Uh, sure, I can take this one and definitely chime in if uh, anybody has things to add here. But I think to keep it re really simple, sexual orientation has to do with sex, like who you like to actually have sexual relations with. It's your preference, your attraction. It's it's the the it's the it's the body. It's 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 that it's that who you're attracted to versus gender identity is more so what you like to live in the body you like to live in, the uh, how you like to be treated, how you like to be looked, you know, re referred to. Um, that will be my take on it. I, I know that in even in the community, there are different people have different opinions on this. Like I've had conversations with my friends on this and we've had even slightly different interpretations of this. But the most simplistic thing I can say is that gender identity has to do more with um, just kind of like how you're living, you know, who you're living in, what you're showing to the world, what you want to be seen as in the world, um, even the, the the roles that you would like to play in certain in certain senses too, um, if you want to be in, in kind of you know that kind of that kind of way. Um, and then sex, sexual orientation is is really like who you want to be with uh, in a more intimate sense. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for mentioning that and do you do you guys think that this is something that isn't portrayed by media well or do you think media gets it wrong or do you think media represents more of one sexual orientation than the other and i that question is very very obvious um i personally feel like media has always represented straight people as the norm very much the norm and uh ananya i'd love for you to answer if you can if you've been in india long enough if that's also the norm in bollywood as well um or on just tv shows in india so oh, yeah for sure <laughs> like yeah um and even then like there's well there are a lot of layers to this like obviously bollywood is very sexist um yeah yes oh, yeah. i recently found out that Shah Rukh khan has done over 80 films and I was like, I swear to God, it's like 20 films, but like four into four. Like, it's like mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. He's doing the same thing every time. Like, it's super sexist. And like, I can probably count on my hands, like on my, like one hand, the number of times I've seen queer people on screen. And even then, I can criticize it very much because it's not the best representation at any given point. Like, it's... It's um, 
I suppose like when it comes to queer representation in, in Indian cinema, it's always like, I'll take what I can get because it's so rare and anything is really appreciated, but it's never the best. And I'm just kind of waiting like for like waiting and waiting for like the time when I can say, okay, like I can accept this, this is fine. Um, it's always like the kind of indie films that never get much funding that were like made in like some warehouse in Bengal that are like the best in, in terms of like queer films in India. Um, but it's never like the blockbuster kind um, mm -hmm. that get like main attention. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, sorry. You no, were go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Don't I worry. was going to say it's it's interesting that you say like the audience like takes what they get, and I I certainly feel that's so true. Uh, <laughs> there was a very like tumultuous time in Bollywood, like the '90s, where a lot of queer people were trying to come out on screen and uh, portray LGBTQI narratives. And one of those significant moments that I can remember, even as a kid, was when Fire was released. Mm -hmm. Fire came out in 1996 and Deepa Mehta was one of the people who, you know, wrote this and uh, directed it and it was passed by the censor board miraculously. Everybody thought, wow, this is the first time, like two women on screen. It's not quite like an out, out and out um, lesbian movie, but it just kind of came out portraying this kind of intimacy between two women and it became this like frenzy right like it, it it is approved by the censor board but at the same time the audience is having a lot of trouble accepting to it and then mm -hmm. within that there are all these like conservative political parties and news media outlets that are calling for boycotting these films so even when the audience is like sort of trying to piece it together mm -hmm. there are all these different agencies that are like you can't do it you can't do it right um and i kind of i kind of noticed that after fire there was a big shift in the way the media was being handled in the country like uh, immediately after that i don't know if anybody remembers but a movie came out called bomb gay um it was made by riyadh wadia and it was based off of novels that um our raja rao wrote and uh the movie was kind of funnily made because the whole the whole plot and every single scene that was shot was shot like almost guerrilla style <laughs> they didn't let anyone know that this was a gay film they didn't submit it to the censor board they kind of just put it on YouTube and let the audience take over. And I feel like that was the birthright. That that for me like is so queer. It's like punk rock. It's like, that's that's where queer cinema actually started for me. And then if you look at it, anything that happened after that, that actually was mainstream, always misses the spot. But like you said, these like movies that come out in a warehouse in Bengal, always like, they get it. They just get it. They don't have this censor board nonsense. They don't have this political party nonsense. They're just allowed to be who they are. They don't have to worry about making excessive blockbuster numbers. So like Dostana came about and I guess like that is a very contentious subject because a lot of people feel like, oh, okay, at least people are talking about it. But at the yeah. same time, you're like, well, there's so much shame. There's so much of this, like, I can't be again. There's so much of like making fun of yourself. Like, what do you do with the film like that? You don't even know that. And then the last few years, again, I think that after the nineties, like this is the time which has so, been so interesting for filmmakers. Shubh Makkal Zadat Sadhan came out uh, early this year. I was just and thinking. I'm like, okay, it's a, it's okay, it's a good film. We're talking about it. We'll, it's like you said, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. I was like, we'll accept it's it. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, fine. It's fine. It's it's trash comedy. But us as queer people who have had a, a life that has been so challenging, that has been so interesting, we want to see something that represents that on TV.
we don't want to see these half-ass <laughs> sort of bad writer stuff. Yeah, like this stuff is important. You guys don't realize this has been decades in the making. So when you do it, do it right. Is yeah. that's what that's exactly. the kind of sense that I get when I watch movies like that, and it like burns me up because what is it gonna take? Like, and also that's the other thing though. Like, although there is LGBTQIA topics, there's not so much of like LGBTQIA inclusion. They're not really hiring people who are who are gay, which exactly. always seems to me like, come on, it's not like there's no talent in the community at any at all. Exactly. So that always it always makes me feel like um, it's, it's not it's like not Farad or Fazari is like the like he's incredible and you're not funding him you're not giving him anything like you could yeah. just push yeah anything. i i kind of you know it's 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 so funny i get the sense that all of these like straight directors and producers sort of are trying to piggyback on the lgbtqia community because it's <laughs> now it's like the last last few years it's kind of like hip it's kind of like yeah. trendy to be They're queer like all these designers are queer yeah, yeah tokening tokening if you really wanted to be inclusive, you would probably hire somebody who's an LGBTQI writer or somebody from the community. Like I remember, um, what movie was it? Aligar? Aligar came out. Yeah. And uh, yes. people really liked it. And for some reason, again, people had a lot of trouble digesting that because a lot of people said, oh, wow, it's really morose, really serious. We can't watch this three hours of just like oppressive gay dialogue, which makes us feel like the world has come to shit. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry to say this, but this is this is sadly the reality. It's like, yeah, the it's, man, it can't be sugarcoated. I, I felt like Shubh Mangal Savdhan was, if anything, it was so sugarcoated. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I have all these yeah. opinions about movies. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, like, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, it's just no. Like, like at least finally we get like a trashy romantic movie. Like at least we have that now. <laughs> like that representation has been fulfilled. <laughs> Yeah, we have the we have the DDLJ of the queer community finally. <laughs> yeah, they made out in a train and the father like puked. It was fun. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> you know, I think what we kind of are getting at here is that no surprise, it all goes back to money. It all goes back to funding. It all goes back to how many people are going to buy this film, watch this film, and that's the reason why they're like handicapping themselves is because no one's really willing to like go out there and just do it. And I think going back to something that uh, someone mentioned before was was this feeling of like, you know, the, the the brown queers in the Western world really doing something back home. I think I, I feel an immense, you know, calling to do something for, you know, for the motherland, you know. Um, and I think it's going to take, you know, people that come from different parts of the world to go shake things up back home. You know, because that's where we can potentially just go through the loopholes uh, and the bureaucracy that's down there and, and, and you know, be figures down there. So I, I think, you know, the there's definitely like a Western guilt, you know, like there's so much privilege that we have living here and yeah. um, we have to do something with it. And I think the easiest way is to be be figures here and then to be figures back home. Right, exactly. Um, did you, did that, did somebody want to say something? I'm so sorry. No, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was, I was just gonna echo off of that. I think that, I think that that's so true. There's this guilt thing that you talk about when you're trying to do something for the community and people. So you, you don't, you don't know what it's like. You have no idea. You haven't been here. You haven't been here for the struggles. You kind of escaped is kind of like what the, what the traditional story is, but that's really not true. I think that there's uh, a sense of community depend, no matter where you are. I, um, 
do, do I cry every single time a transgender person gets killed in India? Absolutely. It hurts my heart. I come from those people. And I think us as people who are somewhat in a better place of like not, not, we don't have the fear of being arrested, of being prosecuted. We have more of a responsibility to do this. And if you look at the history of LGBTQI organizations, a large part of them have operated out of India. And they've, yep. they've operated within, within queer circles of um, uh, diasporas and they've eventually been able to come back home and make change. And I think that's, you're absolutely right. We're in that generation and we can, we can make this change. We were not, we're not the kind of people who take privilege very lightly. We, we understand it, we respect it, and we're going to go from there. And making one last like really silly comment, like, you know, the, the woman I'm seeing now, she is a pretty big public figure in like the queer community in the U S and, you know, TikTok, a really funny, silly app that like blew up during quarantine. Um, you know, she's got a, a pretty large following on it. And, and as soon as we started doing videos together, she got blown up with people from India that like saw the TikToks, they were circulating all over the web and they immediately were contacting her just like, I love this, I love this. I start, I, I literally get like dozens and dozens of messages uh, in my, on my Instagram just saying like, oh, I saw you from, you know, your girlfriend's videos and it's great and they're all from India and it's amazing. And so, you know, we have such a high impact on people back home, even if we're doing things from here. You know, just our, just us being ourselves, being brown and being out and being queer, like we are doing something for people back home who are seeing that and, and saying, wow, there's some representation in social media and, and in media, like, like we were talking about in the beginning of this. So I think it's critical. I think it's critical for us to do all that we can here and then bring it back home, you know, because it, it is true that we don't know exactly what it's like to be, you know, in South Asia and be gay. We absolutely don't. And we never could, you know, uh, could, could say that. Like, I can't because I was born in New York City. But I, you know, anytime I hear news about South Asians, you know, any sort of events that happen, it hits home. It, even though I was born here, that hits home. Like, there's some, it's, it's part of my roots. It's in my blood. And I'm just one degree separation. You know, I'm first generation here. That could have been me. You know, I could have been there. And so we do have a responsibility to to live our lives and then to showcase it and to be proud of it and to try to, to, to send that message back home. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. And I, oh my God, I hate to cut this to a close, but I loved our conversations. And just really briefly before we end, if each one of you could give just a brief piece of advice for all those South Asian teens out there, for the youth out there, especially because we're quarantined with our family, maybe those who are struggling, who are questioning, or who just want to learn more, if any of you guys can just briefly give some advice, and then we'll have to get going. Um, I'll start. Um... If I had to give one piece of advice, you know, other than like the usual of like, you know, you're not alone, um, em empathy. I think empathy is massive. I think um, you're going to deal with criticism your whole life, you know, um, and if you can tr treat it with empathy, you know, you can dismantle it in moments. Like I've, I've had people, you know, come to me with negative feedback or criticism. And the moment I responded instead, instead of the, the, the de defensive response, which is so normal and understandable with empathy, you can see it just crumble. You can see them just dismantle. And so I would say, you know, empathize 
with everybody, including yourself. Give your, give yourself time to, to really come into who you are. Don't put your, don't give yourself so much pressure to just figure it out. Everybody's journey takes whatever time it takes. Some people, they'll come out later in life. Some people, they know and they come out sooner in life. Just, you know, treat yourself with love and everybody else, you know, come from a place of love with everything you do, you know, um, and understand that there are people that are trying to show up for you that might do, make mistakes, might do it the wrong way. But if you come to them with empathy and, and honesty and, and just be genuine and, um, and, and try to practice vulnerability, you know, going back to the, the things that we weren't taught, try to be, come from a place of vulnerability, you know, and once you have someone's attention to really just open up and, and, and tell them, you know, how you're feeling. Like I remember with my mom, the, when I finally confirmed or, you know, confirmed her suspicions, I just let it out, you know, and I was just like, mom, you know how hard it's been? Like, do you know how hard it's been this entire time to like not speak to you about this? You think I want to not speak to you about this? Like, I would love to, I, I want you to know your daughter. I want you to know who I am, you know, just to, to let it out um, and, and practice that with yourself is going to be key. So empathy with love, you know, come from a place of love and give yourself time. Um, I'm just going to say, I want you to ask yourself, um, if you're listening, I want you to, I want you to challenge certain assumptions that you have about this world. When things don't go right and you tell yourself that this should not be happening to me, I want you to challenge certain assumptions and say, well, this wasn't really promised to me. This wasn't given to me as granted. There are so many odds against you. There are so many different obstacles in front of you if you want to do anything that you want to do. But you know what you do have as people of color, queer people, we do have this. We have the boon of creativity. We are the most creative people. We're the pioneers. We're different. You get to use that to your advantage. You get to become the leader by picking up a pen, by picking up that paintbrush, by going out and talking to your neighbors. You can do anything you want. Don't let your difference, uh, don't let the people who tell you that you're different uh, uh, say it in a derogatory way, use that to your advantage. That's what all of us are doing. Like anybody who has kind of gotten over the hump of coming out, dealing with the shame and the guilt will tell you that they have found themselves through creative tools. You can be creative. You can be the person that you want to be and be passionate about it too. And the, just look around. There's a ton of people like, all of us are here. Everyone's here. I, that's uh, that's what I'll leave you with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess uh, I mean you two pretty much summed it up. But I guess what I'll say is that the world is kind of shitty, and it's fine if you don't feel the best all the time. And what matters is that. At the end of the day, if you can say that I got through it and tomorrow I will get through it and the day after that I will get through it, the day after that and the day after that and before you know it, time has passed because time isn't real and you will be fine because four years ago I was like, I'm going to get kicked out of the house and now my father helps me edit the magazine. I could not, I cannot believe that this is my life and in four years or even four months, you will not believe the life you are having. And that's just the truth. Time is not real and you will be fine.
everything will be fine. You just have to give it time. And that sucks. Amen. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm really, really hoping everybody who's listening and myself, I will take all these pieces of advice into consideration, into deep thought. I hope all of you have an amazing day and carry on what you're doing. It is truly, truly remarkable. And thank you again for joining us all. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. Take care. Take care. Gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls, yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York, all over the world. Uh, it's the bony show. Uh, hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with. It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh. I say, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live.